Welcome back to the Chronicles of Aguna podcast. We're back in Champions League action on Wednesday night, which means it's the return of the big match preview. Hey, everybody, how's it going? Welcome back along to the Chronicles of Aguna podcast. It's the big match preview. And on this episode, we're looking ahead to Arsenal's clash with Sevilla um, coming up, of course, on Wednesday night at Emirates Stadium. And what a big night it could be for the Gunners, having waited so long to get back into the Champions League. We have an opportunity now, of course, on Wednesday to book our place, potentially in the knockout stages, which would be pretty cool. I know it's a group that you look at and we're expected to get through and all of that. And it's not going to be one of those, you know, moments that leads to you jumping up and down and over celebrating and all the rest of it. But it would be a fist pump moment, wouldn't it, at the very least? Because, you know, we found our way back into the competition after a, a number of years out of it. You know, we've worked really hard, I think, as a football club in terms of trying to turn things around to put ourselves in a position where we should be qualifying for this competition now for a number of years to come. And, you know, at the start of the season, looking at the group and looking at how Arsenal had performed last season in what's, um, you know, regarded as one of the best leagues in Europe, if not the best league in Europe, with the exception of the VAR. I promise I won't mention it too many times on this episode. But when you think about that and you think about the fact that the Premier League sides have often been very, very far in the competition, uh, have been very strong in the competition because of the level of squads that they have, the finance that they have available to them in comparison to the Italian teams, for example. You know, you you do look at yourself if you're a top Premier League team and think, yeah, I've got a really good chance of winning this. So we're not in the Champions League this year just to make up the numbers. It's not one of those, oh, but we're just happy to be here kind of things. You know, that would be the mentality of, of another club in North London, dare I say it. We're here to to really go for it, to really give it a good go. And I'm um, really, really looking forward to hopefully progressing to the knockout stages and then uh, seeing how far uh, this young, hungry um, and united Arsenal team can go. And I think it's going to be uh, it's going to be fascinating. Um, hope you're all good. Hope you're all well. A big thank you to everybody joining us in the live chat box. As always, always great to see uh, you guys. Remember, if you're listening uh, on audio on whatever platform it is, please do leave us a review. I only realized the other day, right? So when you search for the Chronicles of Aguna podcast on Spotify, for some reason, it, it comes up with duplicate feeds. And, and I've had one stored on my Spotify for about, I don't know, two years. And it says um, 11 reviews. And I look at it and I'm like, man, looking at the statistics, looking at how many of you are tuning in via Spotify, why have I only got 11 reviews on the podcast? Like, it was driving me mental. Like, I just couldn't figure out why that was the case. And then I went on to the other feed, which I thought was a duplication, exactly the same. But guess what? That one's got nearly 500 reviews. So a big thank you, because I keep asking you for reviews. I'm sitting there thinking, for God's sake, why aren't they doing it? But you actually are. Um, so thank you. Really, really appreciate that. I think we're about five or so reviews away on Spotify from 500. So if we could get there, that would be great, wouldn't it? Um, thank you all so much. Also, if you're watching us on YouTube, like the video, subscribe to the channel. You know the deal. Um, you know how much of a difference it makes. If you've got any questions throughout the show, 
feel free to chuck them in. We will do a dedicated Q&A bit at the end. So if you keep a hold of them for then, that'll probably be better. Just means that there's less chance of them getting lost in the chat box. But without um, without dragging it on too much, let's um, let's start to uh, look ahead to this game. In fact, I've got to bring you up to speed on one more thing. I've got to point you in the direction of one more thing before we do that. Um, but just to give you a rundown of what we're going to discuss on this show, it is the big match preview show. So we're going to look ahead to Arsenal versus Sevilla at Emirates Stadium tomorrow night. We're going to discuss team news. We're going to review Mikel Arteta's press conference. I'm going to share with you guys the lineup that I would like to see Mikel Arteta select for this one. We're also going to talk interestingly about who's going to play up front. And you'll know why when I give you... Uh, some of the team news a little bit later on. We're also going to talk a little bit about Thomas Partey because uh, some rumours, uh, some reports, I should say is, is the right way to put it, have emerged over the last 24 hours, suggesting that Thomas Partey's injury that he's currently out with could actually be worse than initially feared and that actually Thomas Partey is now not expected to return until the new year which is a massive, massive blow, if true. Now, just to be clear, there's been no sort of confirmation on that from the club. The club haven't commented on that. And we know that under Mikel Arteta, they're very tight-lipped when it comes to injuries. So, um, yeah, we're going to have to wait and see. But that is not good, is it? That's not what you want to be hearing. Um, the thing I wanted to point you guys in the direction of is the other episode that we dropped Earlier today, Amira in the chat says two shows in one day. What a treat. That's what happens when I work from home. Uh, <laughs> um, as you guys know, uh, last week we started a brand new series on the channel called The Debrief, uh, the show in which we seek to explore some of the wider topics in football. But of course, um, given Arsenal's uh, sort of involvement in some real controversy over the weekend, Mikel Arteta's outburst, the club statement that followed, I felt like it was worthwhile um, focusing on the VAR slash standard of officiating issue. And I wanted to get a top, top guest on to do that with me, which is why the debrief that normally comes out on a Monday came out on Tuesday this week because I needed to work around uh, my brilliant guest. And um, I promise if you haven't seen it or listened to it already, the wait was worth it. Um, this was a fascinating, fascinating conversation with Keith Hackett, who was the head of the PGMOL a number of years ago and is responsible for a lot of the positive change, actually, that we've seen in, in refereeing over the years. Now, it might be difficult to comprehend that there has been positive change, given what we're seeing sort of week after week at the moment. But, you know, some of the technology, goal line tech, um, you know, the, the communication kits, these are things that Keith Hackett introduced. These are things that Keith Hackett really pushed for. And they've made a real big positive difference. So uh, it was a fascinating conversation. It is available now on this very YouTube channel. It's the last video. Uh, or you can, uh, of course, download it wherever it is that you get your podcasts. And I thought what I'd do is rather than tell you how good it is um, and how worthwhile it is, and please do tune in, um, I'm going to just show you guys and, and let you guys listen to a very, very quick trailer uh, from the episode. And I'm sure... This will whet your appetite. Check it out. But what we've got is we've got a skewed interpretation coming out of PGMOL. He's inherited a declining group of referees thanks to the poor management of Mike Riley, the former boss. Sadly, we've seen the decline and we've got a very small number of what I consider to be world-class referees. 
Whereas perhaps in my day, we had about 10 out of the 20. Off, off, the top of, off the top of your head, how many would you say that we have now in the Premier League? Four. We're hung up on what's clear and obvious. Well, for me, it's clear and obvious. That's a push. Howard Webb is, is, is a brilliant communicator. Um, and I know behind the scenes he'll be working very hard to try and get changes in, in flow. He's inherited a lot of people. The PGMOL is not functioning satisfactorily to all the stakeholders in the game. And therefore, Howard being the leader has got to show leadership. He's got to develop a pair and he's got to do the hard things. And the... I think what you'd be saying, Harry, is this. If you're the referee and you're going to be scathed on TV, doesn't it put the pressure on you to not make that mistake next time? Yeah. This is just like thing. this is just like the number nine who's not hitting the back of the net. Was a pre- competent Premier League referee. He lost his form. I fired him. Today's episode is sponsored by NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. NerdWallet's trusted financial journalists use fact-based reporting for some much-needed clarity in the finance world, helping you make smarter decisions with your money. The nerds have helped me get smarter about things like planning for my tax bills so I don't dread April every year, producing a balanced budget, not just for football, and saving on travel because spending less on airfares means more money for an extra night and maybe a fancy dinner too. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money podcast on your favourite podcast app. Future you will thank you. Now, there's a man who knows his apples from his oranges. Uh, Former head of the PGMOL and former FIFA referee, Keith Hackett, as I say, uh, joined me earlier on today. And I have to say a big thank you to Keith. I did say it to him on the show, but to, to give you an idea of how deep this conversation went, right? When I text Keith yesterday, and we spoke about doing the show. I asked him for 20 minutes of his time and we spoke for over an hour and a half. So there's lots and lots to get into with some great stories along the way as well. So that's uh, the debrief, which you can find now on all major uh, podcast stores, of course, under the Chronicles of Aguna feed and of course on our YouTube channel. Right. Let's move on. OK, Arsenal versus Sevilla. And of course, as mentioned, the Gunners can qualify for the knockout stages. So what needs to happen? for Arsenal to be guaranteed a place in the round of 16. Well, if Arsenal were to win their game against Sevilla, that would put the Gunners onto nine points, seven clear of Sevilla with two games to go. So it would be impossible for them to catch us. Lons, of course, uh, are on five points. They take on PSV Eindhoven. And if Lons are to beat PSV Eindhoven, that would mean that they remain on two points as well. And Arsenal would be clear of PSV also. The Dutch side uh, would also now be in a position whereby it's impossible to leapfrog Arsenal. So if we can make sure that two of the four, uh, two of the remaining three, I should say, um, can't get above us, then obviously we qualify. But, you know, the the, the group winners uh, title would still be up for grabs and, and that could be interesting. And obviously you want to win the group, right? You want to get a better draw, theoretically, at least. It doesn't always work out like that. Um, in the next round. So, um, yeah, it could be a really, really positive night for Arsenal tomorrow. Talking about Sevilla and sort of what we saw from them in uh, the Ramon Sanchez Pith one um, last month, I was out there, made the trip. Beautiful, beautiful city and place, by the way. Highly recommend it. I felt like at times they were really tidy and they were really um, sort of competent and they made 
life difficult for us. But I also thought at times they showed weakness. And I think that Arsenal, you know, at, at times maybe just needed to up it a couple of gears in order to, you know, find the spaces and, and really exploit them and punish them. And, you know, it just felt like at times we were kind of cruising through segments of that game. I think the word describe or the word to describe Arsenal's performance that night was probably professional. I think there was an element of, you know, sort of making sure that we don't burn out too quick. There was an element of making sure that we keep control of the narrative, keep control of the atmosphere by playing in a certain way. And we saw, you know, brilliance from Gabriel Jesus, not just once, but twice um, to, to score us the goals. The first um, moment he brought the ball down out of the air, spectacularly spun and played at Martinelli and with a perfect pass, who rounded the goalkeeper and slotted home. Remember, Martinelli had an opportunity earlier in the game as well that again was uh, created by Gabriel Jesus, who we're going to be without tomorrow. Um, Mikel Arteta has confirmed. And then sort of towards the end of the game in the second half, after starting the second half, I thought quite well with Jesus scoring uh, himself and scoring a, a brilliant goal. We ended up being in a situation where we were kind of holding on at the end. And that was a little bit annoying. Like I, I did come away from the game, obviously incredibly pleased. I was in the ground. I know exactly how difficult the atmosphere was. I know exactly how intimidating a place it can be. And I know exactly, um, you know, what Sevilla are all about when it comes to European competition. They've got so much history and it is something that you feel, I think, when you're there. Um, you look at how Arsenal coped with the trip to Lons earlier in the group. And, and the truth is they didn't cope at all. They were really, really poor that night. Again, in a place with a partisan atmosphere. And again, it was a side that, yes, on paper, you'd say that we're far superior to. But still, you know, that those away games, the atmosphere, especially in Europe, I think can be a leveler at times. So I was wary of the severe trip. And although, you know, I was satisfied with 80% of the performance, there still was just a, a, a slight risk and a slight concern in my mind that we were going to end up sort of throwing it away. And we, and we nearly did. So that means that going into this game at Emirates Stadium, although theoretically it should be easier, you're at home, all the rest of it, I'm not going to take Sevilla lightly. I will not take Sevilla lightly. I will not take anyone lightly that is in the UEFA Champions League. You know, I just don't think you can afford to. I hope that Mikel Arteta isn't going to make too many changes to the side that played at Newcastle uh, the other day. I suspect he might make some changes. Um, you know, you look at the fact that we've got Burnley who have been really, really poor so far this season in the Premier League, I think it's fair to say. And, you know, if I had to gamble on one fixture in terms of, you know, making those additional two or three changes that can sometimes destabilise the team, I think that might be the one that I'd be looking at now. I'd want to wrap up qualification from Group B for the knockout stages. And I think that, you know, you may see Mikel Arteta make slightly less changes uh, tomorrow with the hope that he can um, make a few more or have even a couple of players back against Burnley, which brings some fresh legs, but also some experienced legs. It's going to be fascinating to see what he does. And we'll talk about the team uh, in a little while. But the point I'm trying to make here is that we cannot take them lightly. I said it ahead of the West Ham game when we did the big match preview for our Carabao Cup clash with West Ham United. I said that, you know, these were the sort of, or this was the volume of changes that I expected. I picked a team sort of based on that. I didn't get it spot on. I think I was a couple of players off. But 
and and again to be clear that was the team that I wanted you know I wanted Declan Rice in the team I know a lot of you didn't and you know your reasoning for that you know you don't want to take a risk was was fair and justified I think but the point I was making was that you know when you make too many changes it does destabilize it does cause problems and I remember somebody specifically at the end of the show in the live comments when I gave my prediction and my prediction was that West Ham were going to win I remember somebody saying, well, why would you pick that team then if you're going to lose? Because it all comes down to priorities, right? You know, we knew that we needed to make changes. We knew that we had a trip to Newcastle to come at the weekend. We knew that was going to be a game that would be very physically taxing. And it turns out that it was not just physically, but emotionally taxing as well in the end. And I was concerned about that. And, you know, in, in this fixture, I think that you know, it's probably not going to be as physically taxing. I don't think it, it it normally is when you play a Spanish side, for example, because I think the tempo um, with which they play is is a little bit different. And I think that can make a difference. But that doesn't mean that you can take these sides lightly. You know, this are, these are the Europa League holders. This is a side that have a very rich history in European competition, as we've already highlighted, and have a lot of talented players within their ranks. So for me, yeah, um, Looking at it right now, I'd probably go stronger with the idea of if I have to then make changes later on in the week, those coming against Burnley rather than Sevilla. But that's just um, that's just my opinion on it. Um, OK, let's take it on. Uh, Mikel Arteta gave his press conference earlier today, and uh, we're going to touch on some of the key points from that. Mikel Arteta um, defended himself uh, with regards to what has been described as an outburst. I think some of the reaction to this generally has been embarrassing. I think that we see managers fly off the handle very often when it comes to bad decisions. And the reason we see them fly off the handle in the way that they do is twofold, right? Number one, there's so much at stake. If you're Mikel Arteta and you're hoping to pit Manchester City to the title, you know in the back of your mind, it is there. It is a seed that is planted. You know that you can ill afford to make too many mistakes over the course of the season. And by mistakes, I mean drop points. This is a side that have been relentless for years and years and years. And you cannot afford to give them any advantages. We beat them a couple of weeks ago, and now they're three points clear of us. That's how quickly the tide can turn. And Mikel Arteta, I think... Um, you know, had a bit of that in his mind, but also has felt this way with regards to the standard of officiating and the PGMOL over a long period of time. That's why we hear that Arsenal have compiled a list of incidents to go and discuss with the PGMOL. That's why Mikel Arteta went so big the way he did. And that's why the club felt that they were happy to come out and put out a statement that supported Mikel Arteta, knowing full well that there could be a charge, knowing full well um, that something could come of it. There would be clubs out there that would say, no, you know what, manager, your comments, you're, you're on your own, mate. You you take whatever punishment is coming your way. I don't necessarily think that's right. But I think the club have clearly been in discussions with the PGMOL over a period of time. For them to have come out and supported Mikel Arteta the way they did tells me that those conversations have happened internally, but those conversations have also taken place between Arsenal representatives of Arsenal and of the PGMOL as well. Mikel Arteta was adamant that he did nothing wrong. And he said uh, that if he did it again, if he had to do it again, or if that situation were to arise again, 
he would defend his club once again with no hesitation. In terms of team news, uh, no news on uh, Martin Odegaard yet, who, of course, missed the game at Newcastle. He was asked during the press conference if um, he regretted using him against West Ham United. Remember, I said that as well. It just felt like a needless change to make, um, given that we had Newcastle and that that game was uh, was done and dusted at 3-0. He says that the two problems, uh, so the one that Odegaard uh, faced ahead of the um, the, the game that we played at the weekend, my head's gone in terms of who it was. Was it Sheffield United? I think, um, you know, he, he highlighted that, you know, that problem, the problem that saw Martin Odegaard uh, miss uh, the last Premier League game was not related to the problem that he then picked up in training that meant he missed out on Newcastle. So, you know, I don't know if that's true, but that's what Mikel Arteta's told us today. He also confirmed that Gabriel Jesus uh, is unavailable. There had been some rumours over the last few days that actually he was well ahead of schedule and that he was, you know, in contention to return. Brazil have called him up to the national squad. Odegaard has also been called up to his national squad, which at the very least tells us that there's been no communication between Arsenal and those national teams to say this player is definitely out for X amount of time. So I'm hopeful, especially in Odegaard's case, that he might even be available tomorrow. But then. Later on in the day, we found out who trained and who didn't. So uh, we'll come on to that in a bit because, um, yeah, you know, that's different to, to Mikel telling us I'm not sure yet. So just to summarise, no news on Odegaard yet. This is what he told us in the press conference. Jesus is unavailable. There's no news on the others, the other players that are, of course, uh, sidelined. Arteta was asked about his outburst, if you want to call it that, and he was asked if it, this was due to a build-up of, of incidents and conversations. And he suggested that without sort of directly saying it. Um, he also highlighted and, and was very keen to highlight that he wasn't booked for his conduct at the weekend. And when asked about sort of coming out and speaking, I think Gary Neville labelled Mikel Arteta's um, sort of rant or tirade, whatever you want to call it, as dangerous or that the club's statement was dangerous. He said, look, when we feel that there's an injustice or there's something that we need to get off our chest. We have to talk loudly. He said, you can't take a problem that you have and just put it in the drawer or in your desk and, and ignore it and and hope and expect that it will just evaporate or disappear. He goes, at some point, it's going to stink. And at some point, you're going to have to face the issue and deal with it head on. So, you know, I think Mikel Arteta was spot on in everything he said. I'm glad he didn't backtrack. I'm glad he, um, you know, dug his heels in. And as I highlighted, not just on TalkSport yesterday, but on Twitter as well, um, you know, he didn't totally dismiss the um, the incident uh, between Tottenham and Liverpool. And I kind of have to give Mikel Arteta an apology myself on this, because when I sort of saw those comments uh, sort of being cycled around on Sunday morning, when um, I sat down to record our post-Newcastle show, I was, I have to say, maybe I was a bit lazy, you know, because I didn't go and um, and sort of read up what he said in the Lons press conference, which was in between, um, of course, the, the Liverpool-Tottenham incident and then the next Premier League press conference that he did. And actually what he did say was, you know, I hope that Liverpool get what they deserve, obviously in a positive way. And he talked about how it's incredibly frustrating that when you prepare, when you set your team up and all the rest of it, 
you know, you then have the game or the outcome dictated by something that's out of your hands. So to be fair to Mikel Arteta, he did address that. For some reason, that seems to have completely gone under the radar. Now, that was bad on my part that I didn't go back and check the Lons press conference um, and that I only went with the press conference that he gave in the league, uh, the next one that he gave in the league, because that's what a lot of people were doing. And that's that's bad on my part. I should have done the research. But when I did, and I shared that on Monday morning um, on TalkSport, you know, Ali McCoyst and Andy Townsend were, were trying to wind me up about it. And I, and I basically said, you know, after they played the clip that uh, Arteta said, you know, mistakes happen in football. I said, actually, you've missed one. You know, you've missed one. You have. And um, and I think it's important to highlight that. There's also a clip going around today of Ange Postacoglu uh, slagging off referees and and criticising them and, and calling VAR a theatre, whatever. Yesterday, though, for some reason, um, he was getting all the praise in the world. I mean... It's wild the way that they can paint somebody as a villain and and just, you know, really go at them constantly. And yet others get painted as angels. And that's why if you go back uh, to the cover of the debrief today, you'll see Arteta uh, with a pair of horns and Ange Postacoglu with a halo because apparently he's the uh, the angel at the moment. He's slagged off referees before. Every manager at the top level has because every manager would have been on the receiving end of decisions that infuriated them. And when you interview these people directly after a game, you are going to get that from time to time. You are going to get that. Ange Postacoglu gets all the praise in the world for everything he says, everything he does, and it is starting to grind on me because he has criticised referees very strongly during his time at Celtic. He did get booked yesterday for arguing and being out of his technical area. Nobody's been talking about that. All they've been talking about is his post-match comments. Well, it's very easy in your post-match interview or post-match press conference to be quite level-headed about the officials when you've gone into your changing room after a game, watched the evidence um, presented or you know, against your two players that were sent off, and 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 you can't argue it. You know, if anything, looking back at that game, which was highly entertaining, by the way. Um Udogi, judging by what Keith Hackett told me earlier today, should have been sent off in the first instance. Christian Romero could have been sent off in the first instance. And he had another bite at the cherry and he still managed um, to, to cross that line and concede a penalty in the process. So Tottenham can have no complaints really with the officiating yesterday. It was it was good. It was good. It was much better than what we saw up at St. James's Park. But the, the point I'm trying to make here that I've digressed away from is that Mikel Arteta speaks his mind and it's, uh, you know, it's wrong. He's a villain. Let's all go after him. Let's all call him entitled. Let's all call him a baby. Let's keep, um, you know, trying to to bang that drum and, and sort of play out that narrative. Ange Postacoglu is in this space at the moment where people hang on his every word. Don't fall into that trap. Don't fall into... I understand why Spurs fans are doing it, but I don't understand why the rest of the football world is doing it. It's it's, it's insane. Every manager will lose it at certain points. Mikel Arteta's boiling point was at Newcastle on Saturday, rightly so. And that point will come for Ange Postacoglu. And when that mask drops, everybody's going to be shocked. And I can't wait for the day. Anyway, um, elsewhere, the injury list grows. I mentioned that there's no news yet on Martin Odegaard. What we found out later in the day, though, is that Martin Odegaard didn't train. 
Neither did Gabriel Jesus, who, to be fair, we didn't expect to train. But a surprise absentee was Eddie Enketia. He did not take part in training today, which which sort of brings up an interesting question with regards to who's going to play up front on uh, on Wednesday night. So we'll get into that a little bit later on when we pick the team. But those three players uh, not available in training or, or not seen, not participating in training today. And uh, and then that brings me on to that Thomas Partey thing we were discussing. Is he going to be back before the new year? We're going by John Cross's report. No, he's not, which is a big, big blow. He'll come back then, potentially be available for the FA Cup third round, but then it's the AFCON. So we could be without Thomas Partey now for a really long period of time. If that's the case, and, you know, he's going to be coming back from a, a longer-term injury, and there are going to be concerns with regards to fitness over the remainder of the season, I think we need to go out and get a midfielder in um, in January. I really do. And it's going to be one of those situations where Arsenal might have a plan in place for the summer in terms of somebody that they're looking at. You know, we hear that it could be Martin Zubimendi, for example. I think that what Arsenal are going to need to do, what Arteta is going to need to do, is go to the board, go to the ownership, um, go to Edu and say, we we don't want to just sign someone for the sake of it. We don't want another short-term fix. We've got a few of those in our squad, and I think we've got enough at the minute. Can we possibly accelerate the plans that we had for the summer? Is there any way that we can finance this? Is there any way that we can make this happen now so as to protect us in the second half of the campaign? Because for all the criticism that Arsenal have got over the last few months, um, you know, people saying that we're not playing at the same level and all of that, and I, I get that to a degree. I think a lot of it's fair. But we are still within touching distance. We are still in the mix, not just for the Premier League, but, you know, in the Champions League. We could be in the last 16 uh, by the end of tomorrow. So, you know, you want to be in a position come the business end of the season to be able to give those things, you know, a real good go. Plus the FA Cup, let's give that a good go as well. And I just feel like if we're going to constantly be without Thomas Partey, we're just still a little bit short in the midfield. You know, we're 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 too close to having a, a crisis. We're one injury away, essentially. If Declan Rice picked up a problem, we'd be in crisis in that midfield area. And I just don't want us to be in that precarious position. So if this is true, and again, to be clear, to clarify, nothing's come out of the club on this. This is from John Cross of the Mirror. Now, he may well have his sources, but the point I'm trying to make here is that I don't know 100% that this is true. It is just a report at this stage. Okay, uh, let me take you on to the team then that I would select for the game against Sevilla. Now, this is taking into account that I don't think Odegaard's going to be fit. Odegaard might be fit, but the fact that he didn't train today kind of is not a good sign to me. Um, and Ketia not training is also not a good sign in. And, um, and we know, um, of course, that Jesus is going to be unavailable. Mikel Arteta has said as much. This is the team then taking all that into account that I would pick. I'd go with Ramsdale in goal. I know some will say, what? Why are we still talking about this? David Raya is the number one now. Get over it. Move on. Listen, I'm picking the team that I want to see pick. And I thought that Ramsdale, you know, when he played against West Ham the other night, was given a really, really harsh appraisal afterwards. I don't think he covered himself in glory necessarily. I don't think it was an outstanding performance for him. Him, But when I go back and I look at the goals, the first one, not only is he fouled, but it's an own goal and he, I don't think he can do anything about it. The second one um, comes off the back of 
Mohamed Kudus getting a little bit lucky. Now, you might think that that was a great, great bit of control. Go and watch it back again, because this was only brought to my attention like the day after. If you watch, the ball flicks off his other heel and goes into his foot. I don't think he means that. Um, but the finish is great from Kudus. But it was poor defending from Zinchenko and then Gabriel. So I can't hold Ramsdale accountable for that one. And the third one, although you'd argue that the ball went through him, it, it does take a deflection. So, you know, I think that Ramsdale will be looking at Raya's performances and thinking, you know, I can do better than that. Because let's not forget that Raya, and we touched on this on uh, on sort of Sunday's show, escaped a lot of criticism that would have come his way at Newcastle because of the VAR controversy. His positioning and then inability to get anywhere near that cross, plus the decision to go for a cross that you're never going to get anywhere near, was questionable at best. So I think that there is a case that David Raya has not taken his opportunity um, fully. And and so the door should at least be a little bit open for Aaron Ramsdale. And, and if he doesn't get games, I don't know how he can potentially turn this situation around. I think that Raya will play, but if it were me, I, I would put Ramsdale in uh, for this one. I really would. I think he deserves a Champions League game. I don't think it's a change that significantly, if at all, weakens us. I thought Raya looked quite comfortable up until the goal at Newcastle, but so did Arsenal just generally defensively. You know, was his distribution good? It was better at Newcastle, but it's still not at the level where it's obviously superior to Aaron Ramsdale's. And that's where I'm struggling, I think. In terms of my back four, I'd go with Ben White, William Saliba, Gabriel, and this time I'd go with Zinchenko because I think that Sevilla are going to come and are going to try and frustrate us for periods. And I think this is one of the games where you get away with Zinchenko. We talked about it before, right? Um, and also with Tommy Asu, who we know uh, has had his fair share of injury problems as well. I'd rather um, just be that little bit more cautious uh, with him as well. I think him and Zinchenko are both quite fragile in that sense, in that they've both frequently broke down with injury since they came to Arsenal. So if you can share the game time and the load between them, and you take into consideration that Tommy played uh, the other day, he replaced White, uh, White at right back as well, and that sort of opened the door for Zinchenko to come on at left back in the game. So, you know, Tommy played the whole game, basically, is what I'm saying. I think that Zinchenko should be the one, and I think we could do with that build-up player that we're probably going to need uh, to try and break Sevilla down. Jorginho, Fabio Vieira and Declan Rice would be my midfield. I'd have been tempted to play Emil Smith-Rowe, but of course, he's not available, um, which is frustrating. Um, Jorginho is fine, as far as I'm concerned, as long as he's got Declan Rice alongside him. I thought he was good again at Newcastle, Jorginho. Um, you know, we, we know what he's about. We know what his strengths are. We know what his weaknesses are. I feel like his strengths, um, you know, are um, are more visible when Declan Rice is alongside him. And I think his weaknesses are covered up by the fact that Rice is so mobile and is willing to help him out in that sense. Fabio Vieira, you know, form's gone off a little bit. You know, he started the season really positively. He was coming... Um, off of the substitutes bench and impacting games and and all the rest of it. And, um, you know, it's just kind of dipped a little bit. Now, I know it's it's not easy when you're not in the team. It can affect your rhythm. Um, and to be in and out is, is a challenge. But he's one that if he does play tomorrow, I want to see him grab the opportunity because it re he really needs to. But Kyle Saka and Martinelli would be my wingers. Uh, let's go and get the job done. Um, you know, if you want to play Trossard, play him against Burnley. Uh, is how I see it. Um, 
I, I was a bit frustrated with Trossard at the end of the Newcastle game based on some deliveries that he put into the box. I just thought they lacked the quality that you need in a circumstance like that. And it's incredibly frustrating when you're running out of time and someone's taking crosses and, and just can't beat the first man. Like, I know it sounds like a really basic, silly thing to say, but it does really, really get under my skin. Um, need a performance from Saka, by the way. You know, I'm still waiting for him to kind of burst back into life. And then up front, particularly in the absence of Eddie and Ketia, I don't think there's any debate. I think it should be Kai Havertz. And I'd like to see him play a full 90 minutes at centre forward because I think he's more effective there. I thought actually his performance at Newcastle was one of his better performances. You know, I thought he put himself about well. I thought he physically gave us quite a bit. Um, you know, the, the attack, generally speaking, was blunt and he was a part of that. So he can't escape any responsibility for that. You know, he has to take some of it, just like all the other forward players did. But I genuinely think that, you know, he is a better forward than he is a midfielder. I've said this for a number of weeks now, and I'd actually quite like to sit back and have a look at him for a full 90 minutes. Um, in a Champions League game, I think that would give us uh, a good indication uh, of, of course, uh, where's he, where he's at. So that's my team. Ramsdale in goal, White, Saliba, Gabriel, Zinchenko, Jorginho, Vieira and Rice in midfield, Saka, Martinelli in Havertz. Do I think that's what Mikel Arteta will do necessarily? I don't know is the answer to that. I don't. What I definitely don't think he'll do is put Ramsdale in for Raya. Um, I think that he will. He'll want to persist with Raya. He's clearly the number one right now. Champions League is seen as a priority competition. So why wouldn't he um, continue with him? I think uh, an opportunity could come for Ramsdale in this competition, which I know he's desperate to be a part of. Uh, should Arsenal qualify tomorrow in the, the sort of remaining games, Lons at home and, and PSV Eindhoven away. But we'll have to wait and see. We'll have to wait and see, won't we? Right, uh, let's take a couple of your questions uh, before we go. Get them in the live chat box. Uh, listener Q&A here on the Chronicles of a Guna podcast. I'll take uh, one or two uh, before I go off and have my dinner. I want to quickly uh, scoff it down before the Dortmund-Newcastle game uh, kicks off. Uh, let's take this one from Think Football. Not to take you off topic, but do you ever cover academy football? Not every week. Um, I did do uh, the Arsenal under-21s game against uh, Manchester City the other night for the Arsenal website on commentary. So I, I, I always keep an eye on on the um, Arsenal academies because, you know, every so often I get a call up from the club to go and do the commentary on those. I did three or four last season. I did one last week. So I want to make sure that I'm across it. But I, I would be lying if I said that I'm super across it and um and it's something that I, I pay loads of attention to on a weekly basis i check scores i, I check scorers I, I try and keep across some of the news articles but that's that's probably about it uh khalid doesn't want to see habits up front he said he's had one shot on target uh zero through balls and zero chance creation uh he should play left left right out <laughs> Oh, you're harsh. You're harsh. You really are. Uh, BX Gunner says that Jesus could have potentially scored in every group match. Yeah, could have. But unfortunately, he's not going to be available, which is really annoying. Uh, Mafia Boss, just on the Thomas Partey thing, says when you need him most, he's never available. I would unfortunately sell Partey. Now, I agree with you, man. We're getting to that point now, aren't we? Um, Amira says, uh, ironically, we got Raya because he's uh, supposedly better at catching crosses. Yet some of the goals we've conceded with him have been from crosses. Yeah, you're right. You're right. 
And that's why I think people are struggling with it at the moment. Um, yeah, I, I really, really do. Um, Martin AFC says, Harry, quality show this morning. One of the best YouTube shows I've seen in a long time. Thank you so, so much. Remember, quick reminder uh, that you can check out um, the debrief uh, with uh, Keith Hackett this week. Now, the debrief, for those of you that aren't familiar, is a show where we're going to expand our horizons a little bit on a weekly basis. We're going to review the the big stories from the Premier League. We're going to review some of the stuff from Europe. And I did have planned going into the weekend lots of other stuff. We were going to talk about the Copa Libertadores final. We were going to talk about some of the ongoings in Serie A. Um, you know, we were going to talk about the Classica uh, between Dortmund and Bayern. All of that was on my agenda. But given what unfolded over the course of the weekend, and this is what's great about the debrief, right? It's a blank canvas. Um, I felt the need to kind of have a bit of a, a gear change and um, and direction change, basically, and do something that felt felt hyper relevant. And when Keith agreed to come on the show, I felt like we, we needed to do that in depth. So, um, yeah, that will happen from time to time um, on the debrief. And we will bring you epi extra episodes of the debrief from time to time when there's stuff that I feel really needs covering. Um, Cesar says, uh, as a commentator, um, do you have like a pre-match routine? to soothe your throat. No, um, I don't. I need to take better care of my throat. Um, I, I feel like I talk so much because of work that it always feels quite strained. And sometimes I need time off and I don't give it to myself. And really, I should. Um, I've had a problem with it over the last few days. Um, and I've really, really struggled to get through some of the work I've had. But obviously, you don't want to let people down. Um, but maybe that's something that I could get some advice on, because uh, it would certainly be uh, helpful. Um, Tutor says, is there any player in the academy that could cover Partey or Jorginho in the midfield? I was having this conversation with uh, with Jeremy Aliadier um, the other night. We were talking about why it is that, you know, you don't really see that much of a crossover these days as you did in, in years gone by between what we used to call reserves and the first team. You don't see first team players dropping down, for example, when they're building their fitness back up in the way that they did in years gone by. You don't see those crossovers happen as often. Um, this is my opinion. I don't think that there's anyone ready just yet. I think that the person that is closest to being ready to making that step up or the two people are probably Ethan Waneri um, and I would say uh, Amario Cozia Dubri. I would say those are the two that look to me like they could step up at some point, but none of them... Um, are going to do a Jorginho or Partey role, I don't think, um, in our team. So it would be nice if that was an option, but but they're not at this moment in time, in my opinion. Um, Mark says, uh, agree with your lineup, but what about Elneny starting and Vieira as a super sub, as he seems to perform better coming off the bench? I don't know that Elneny can progress the ball in the way that we need him to. And I don't know that I would want Elneny and Jorginho in that same midfield. Um, if it was a, a Carabao Cup game, then I, I would have been tempted to go that way. But yeah, not for me. Um, I, I like the idea of Vieira being a sub because I think he performs better. A bit like Trossard when he comes uh, into the game in that context. But yeah, um, I, I think that's the team. Like I said, I would have put Smith Rowe in there if he was fit, but he's not. Um, and, uh, you know, I might put Havertz in there, but we don't have a striker. Um, you know, maybe Trossard would go in there. I don't know. There's um, there's options, of course, but those options are limited at the moment because of the number of injuries that we have. And, and that list is not getting any shorter, is it? 
But anyway, um, I'm going to leave it there. Thank you all so, so much. I'm going to go and stuff my face. No, I'm going to go and eat. I wonder what the wife's cooked. I haven't even asked. Um, and then uh, I'm going to sit down and watch some Champions League football for the evening. So I'll catch you all very, very soon. And um, yeah, the next one will be after the Seville game. So uh, yeah, hopefully we're talking about Arsenal having qualified for the round of 16. It's been a while, hasn't it? See you all soon. Thank you for watching. Make sure you like, subscribe, leave us a review. You know the drill by now. I'll see you all next time. Until then, goodbye. <laughs>